First slide that shows you the incidence of obesity and being overweight and gives you those top numbers you need to know. Okay, you need to know that very first slide because that affects the one for type two? No, the very first slide on diabetes. From the El Paso paper. Oh, yeah. that, that information from the El Paso paper. Because if you're going to talk to anybody about diabetes, particularly along the U.S.-Mexican border, we need to have some statistics, some facts. So that first slide, you need to look at the top portion that I talked about in, in class. Then we go, I believe, to, I don't have the slides in front of me, the diagnostic criteria. You have to know the diagnostic criteria, those four diagnostic criteria for the diagnosis of diabetes. Not only the four diagnostic criteria for diabetes, but also the, the two that would indicate that I am pre-diabetic. Because a lot of pre-diabetics become diabetic. So the diagnostic criteria, which is objective number three, for both diabetes and pre-diabetes. So if you know number three, you know number one, the normal glucose and hemoglobin A1C. Remember the, the causes of type one and di uh, type two diabetes differ, right? One is autoimmune, the other one is due to 
fat. The the other one is due to fat blocking the uh, uh, insulin receptors. Both of them can have a genetic predisposition. We know that. All right. Uh, we know that during pregnancy, if she is diagnosed as diabetic in pregnancy, she's considered a type 1 diabetic, and we treat her with insulin. We also know that type 1 can be pancreatic related. Chronic pancreatitis can be a factor for type 1 diabetes. Then we know that for type 2, it is insulin resistance, but it also can be a number an insulin receptor number problem and a beta cell problem. So I don't care the type, type 1 or type 2 or the cause, but we do need to know the causes. The, number, the most prominent causes, and then other causes. As I said, it's pre, uh, uh, genetic predisposition, chronic pancreatitis, ex, you know, as other factors, uh, as well as number two being obesity. But I don't care the cause. Beta and alpha cell function are abnormal. Okay. In both, in all forms of diabetes. We have abnormal beta cell and abnormal alpha cell function. In type 1 diabetes, the abnormal beta cell functions what? Huh? Right, right. It's low, right? Right. It's either hypo-functioning, uh, hypo-insulinemia at the time of diagnosis or A-insulinemia. So we have an abnormal beta cell function. Beta cells are not functioning. They're gone. And the abnormal glucagon function, alpha, alpha cell function, that has to do with glucagon, we know glucagon levels are, are elevated. In type 2 diabetes, the abnormal beta cell function is what? Decreased. Huh? Decreased. It can be decreased if it's a beta cell problem. If it's a receptor problem, insulin resistance problem is what? It's increased, right? Beta cell function is increased because we have hyperinsulinemia. Right? So it is abnormal. It can be increased in type 2 diabetes, which most commonly it is because it's a insulin resistant problem, or it can be decreased in type 2 diabetes, beta cell function, if it's a beta cell problem. And we know also glucagon levels, alpha cell function, is increased in both types of diabetes because the cell is starving for glucose. You need to know the normal roles, obviously, of insulin and glucagon. Remember, glucagon does two things, basically. Well, it does really one thing two ways. What does glucagon do? What does glucagon give me? Sugar. It gives me sugar in two ways, right? It gives me sugar, how? Breakdown of glycogen. And it also gives me sugar. No, not the breakdown. We just said it. Oh, well, maybe the breakdown. Breakdown of, it gives me new sugar from the breakdown of non-carbohydrate sources, fat and protein, absolutely. So glucagon gives us sugar two different ways. 
glycogenolysis and gluconeogenesis. Glycogenolysis and gluconeogenesis are not the same. Glycogenolysis, hello, that's glycogen. Gluconeogenesis is new glucose from non-carbohydrate sources, non-glycogen sources. So you, you need to know the role of both insulin and glucagon. Remember, insulin synthesizes. Okay, it's going to give me new, it's going to give me glycogen, all right? It's going to uh, uh, increase protein and fat synthesis. And uh, glucagon just does the opposite. So we said the most sensitive test for diabetes, we already talked about that, being the OGTT. You need to know the normal levels for diagnosis and for uh, uh, pre-diabetes. We know what, uh, number six says define hemoglobin A1C and it's used in diabetes. Today we use the hemoglobin A1C for two reasons. We use it to diagnose diabetes, right? and we use it to evaluate the therapy. All right. Is the therapy working? And remember, it's a two-way street. It could be a patient problem. They're not following what they need to do. Their diet, taking their drugs, etc. Or it could be a prescriber problem. They're not on the right medicine or on the right dose. But hemoglobin A1C, remember, tells us history. So obviously you should know the normal hemoglobin. And I told you the goal, the overall goal, the ideal is to get it back to normal, but the true goal is to get it close to normal, 6.5%. That's what we're going to be happy with, a hemoglobin A1C of 6.5%, or it's going to be acceptable. Okay. Number seven, we just said the normal roles. Number eight, talks about the patho of type 1 and type 2 diabetes. Those flow sheets that I gave you, again, is a good review of what goes on in type 1 and type 2 diabetes. All right. Uh, that second slide in regard to the flow sheets, we looked at hypertonic ECF. And remember, anytime I have a glucose level above 100 and uh, 110, I have a hypertonic ECF. All right. And we said in class, the higher the glucose level, the more hypertonicity I have, and I'm going to draw more water out of the cell. And what does that mean to me? As we draw water out of the cell, we're going to urinate it. So that hypertonic ECF is responsible for two things. Increase urination, and if we increase the urination, we lose volume. Volume governs pressure. If we increase the urination, our potassium levels and sodium and chloride levels fall. If we increase the urination, we become thirsty because we've lost volume. So that hypertonic ECF leads to two of the polys. It leads to polyuria, right? I'm losing volume. 
it also leads to polydipsia. I'm going to be thirsty. Okay, I'm going to be thirsty <coughs> because of the hypertonicity as well as the loss of volume. Uh, and the explanation for the third poly, polyphagia, is what? The cell is starting. That's the explanation. All right. We can have uh, uh, degrees of hunger, as I said, degrees of hunger based on how much a cell is starving. All right. Obviously, I told you the three polys are classic in type 1 diabetes. Because in type 1 diabetes, the cell is getting no sugar. So they're going to be very, very hungry because they're not getting any sugar. Versus the type 2, you may not see excessive hunger because the cell is getting some glucose. All right? But hunger will be there. Remember, as, we, as I just said, in type 2 diabetes, the, mo in the majority of patients with type 2 diabetes, their insulin levels are high. All right? Their insulin levels are high. And the pathophysiological explanation for the high insulin levels would be what? Why do they increase their insulin? It goes right back to what we just said a second ago. No. What, what, your body's smart and your body's dumb. Why is that person's insulin increased right now? What's the, bo what's the body saying in that patient? If I increase my insulin, if I increase the insulin, I should do what? I should get glucose into the cell. I should get glucose into the cell. Right? Right? That's why that insulin levels are high. Because a cell is starving for glucose. Same thing, same thing. So theoretically, if I increase the sugar, if I increase the insulin, I should get more sugar in the cell. But it doesn't happen because it's a resistance problem. All right. So you might be, and I, I don't really know, you might be asked, if the patient loses weight, what does, it, what does that lead to? Huh? That's it. A reduction in insulin resistance. Right? And what should happen to insulin levels? They should fall. Absolutely. Because weight is the primary cause. Fat is the primary cause of the insulin resistance. Remember, the type 2 diabetic has high glucagon, but we're not breaking down fat. We're breaking down glycogen, and we're breaking down protein. So they're, they're also getting new glucose from protein source. That's why a lot of these patients we said earlier have fatigue. 
at the time of diagnosis because of the protein loss, protein breakdown. But the cells, it has enough sugar that we don't see lipolysis in the type 2 diabetic. So metabolic acidosis, I, you're going to be asked, metabolic acidosis, remember that's the type 2 diabetic due to lipo, lipo, lipolysis, due to lipolysis. And a byproduct of lipolysis is what? Ketones, right? Ketones. And we know ketones make patients confused. All right? They are neurotoxic. They're toxic to the brain in high amounts. But you need to be aware of how these people will compensate, all right, for the metabolic acidosis, both respiratory and renal. Unless I say to you on the test that the patient has diabetic nephropathy, then the kidneys obviously cannot help. But if that's not stated, you assume that the kidneys are functioning. Okay, the kidneys are functioning. So you need to be able to identify di uh, metabolic acidosis, identify the gases, that would be an example of it, and identify the compensation. Uh, okay, so we mentioned, remember in type 2 diabetes, the clinical manifestations are more nonspecific, all right? We don't obviously traditionally have the three classic polys. We sure can have the polys, but classically they're not seen in the type 2 diabetic, all right? The type 2 diabetic is more fatigued, might have visual changes, might have paresthesia at the time of diagnosis. But we just went through the reason for the three polys. And we should also know, speaking of type 2 diabetes, that the incidence of type 2 diabetes is on the rise. I told you that. It's on the rise, particularly among, the, uh, among young people because of lifestyle. The acute complications, you have to know the reason for the signs of hypoglycemia, all right? Why do we get into hypoglycemia? Remember also that I don't have to be a diabetic to have low sugar, okay? I just don't eat. My sugar levels are gonna be low, all right? But we know in the diabetic, their sugar levels may be low because of why? Too much, too much insulin could be a reason. Too much insulin could be a reason for low blood sugar. There's nothing for the insulin to work on. That's one of them. Mm -hmm. Why else could I have low, uh, why else could I be, have hypoglycemia? Not I'm not eating, I'm not eating, or I'm not eating when? After I take my insulin or my oral anti-diabetic drug, if I'm on an oral anti-diabetic drug, okay, that stimulates insulin production. All right, so you know the causes. You know, you know the possible cause of hypoglycemia. Again, hypoglycemia is a stressor. So the body says anytime I have low sugar or I need more sugar, in a stress event, 
I can get more sugar. How? The activating the activating the SNS, activating the SNS, and which part of that of those catecholamines are going to produce the symptoms on the skin? Norepinephrine, right? Norepinephrine, and my skin will will become cool and clammy, right? Right? Which one would cause my heart rate to increase? Epinephrine and tachycardia, palpitations, can be a manifestation of hypoglycemia. That's the androgergic effects. Then we have the neurological effects. And most of the time, the neurological effects are due to what? The brain is starving for glucose. That's exactly right. The brain is starving for glucose. Because we said that cerebral cells rely on a constant supply of glucose, not on insulin, because they don't need insulin for the uptake of glucose. They rely on a constant supply of glucose in order to function. And if they do not get their glucose, their functioning is going to deteriorate, and patients can go into a coma and or die. Hypoglycemia is the number one acute complication in diabetes. He said it's the number one acute complication in diabetes. So all of you are going to be aware of this because you're all going to be giving and teaching patients how to take their drugs and take their insulin. DKA, and I said this the other day in both the classes, to make it... Well, again, I thought it made it, made it simple. DKA and HHC are exactly the same. It's just the diabetic that's different, all right? And whether they break down fat or not, all right? Other than that, basically, DKA and HHC are exactly the same. What could cause both of them is what? Breakdown of fat, yeah, protein, yeah, but why? Carbohydrate. Why am I doing that? Because, because you need the energy. What would put me into DKA? Stress. Stress. Stress could do it. Stress could be a cause where I would break down more mm-hmm. of what he said. And he was relating to DKA, stress. Why else could I get into why Why else could I get into both of them? Infection. Infection. Diet. Okay. I, what do you mean diet? Right. What happens to the sugar in both? Increase or decrease? I've seen both. Increase. Increase. Right. Hyperglycemia. And we said, your book says, and the slide says, it could be above 300, above 600. I don't want you to memorize. It's high. It's high. Okay? Sugar is high. So you said the diet. What do you mean? I'm eating something with high sugar, right? Something or some things. I'm eating with high sugar. 
That could put me in it. Also, we said taking a medication that contains sugar, like cough syrup. That could put me in it. And it also said, or I should say, I could get into it because I eat and I don't take my medicine. I don't take my insulin. I don't take my oral anti-diabetic drug that increases insulin levels. Those are some of the things that could put me into both of those. The key with both of those guys, we're, we're the same, except for the breakdown of fat. So we have hyperglycemia. Remember HHNS? Hyperglycemia, hypertonic, hypertonic in bulk, okay? Non-ketotic in HHNC, ketosis in DKA. The key in both of those guys, you've got to think about, they lose volume and electrolytes, right? They're going to urinate and urinate and urinate, all right? Because of the hyperglycemia. So they lose a lot of volume, a lot of electrolytes acutely, and that can lead to, to their demise. They could die because of blue electrolyte imbalances. Yes, ma'am? Oh, did you mention infection as one of the causes? Uh-huh. Infection is a stressor to the body. So infection can raise the blood sugar. No doubt about it. Mm -hmm. All right. So if you remember the difference, which is very little, very few, the type of diabetes, all right, the, whether they get into lipolysis or not, the ketosis, basically everything else between the two are the same. We also said that we don't check blood sugar. Uh, we don't, excuse me, we also said we don't check the urine for sugar as a form of diagnosis for diabetes because if we wait to 180, that trial said if we don't, if we, if we wait too long, such as to 180 to diagnose diabetes, what's the problem? We already have the complications, right? And the number one chronic complication again? Neuropathy, right? And remember guys, neuropathy occurs because several reasons. One is a reduction in blood and oxygen to the nerve because of the pathway is narrowed because of excess glucose being deposited as an AGE product. And number two, if we don't get that blood and oxygen to the to the nerve, we the myelin, the insulation of the nerve fiber is destroyed, and transmission of impulses are going to be different, are decreased. And we said with that neuropathy, most of it is manifested how? Peripheral. Peripheral and what? Peripheral and sensory, right? I lose the ability to feel before I lose the ability to use. I will lose the ability for both in neuropathy. Both will happen eventually, but one will happen earlier than the other. And if we can intervene at that time, then we don't get into motor. But if we don't intervene, they will eventually lose the ability to use. 
the long-term complications, all of the long-term complications, all of them, okay, of the long-term complications, and that's microvascular, microvascular, which is retinopathy and nephropathy, and macrovascular, which is coronary artery, cerebrovascular and peripheral vascular diseases, all of them are due to what? Huh? The increase, the chronic elevation of sugar, chronic hyperglycemia. Because in chronic hyperglycemia, that excess glucose is turned to fat. All of the complications are, all of the vascular complications are due to, no, are due to that chronic hyperglycemia. Remember that slide? If we can control the sugar, if we can control the sugar, the risk for the development of and the progression of the complications is going to be reduced. All right? All of the chronic complications have one thing in common. They are all due, related to a degree to the AGE pathway. The arteries are narrowed. If you narrow the artery, you get less blood and oxygen to the tissue. The only exception to that one, the, not an exception, but the only addition that we would make to that is retinopathy. Because we know in retinopathy, eye damage also occurs because of high what in the retinal cells? High levels of fructose. And that's going to ink, that's going to draw water in, and we're going to get higher pressure. And we said we draw water from the lens, that gives us a cataract, and that high pressure causes glaucoma. So the retinopathy has two pathways involved. The others basically have the one pathway. In nephropathy, what is reduced? Blood flow, we said, is reduced. To where? To the glomerulus, right? So when we reduce blood flow, we're reducing GFR, right? We're reducing GFR. And a sign of a reduction in GFR, blood flow of the kidney? Decrease urine output, right? Probably going to be an early sign. Decrease urinary output. And eventually, yeah, I'm going to get into edema. But decrease urinary output. And we know as we, it, as we put anything in our arteries, I was talking cardiovascular yesterday, the other day, if we put anything like the, these, these, these products in our arteries, what does it do to pressure in the artery? It increases the pressure in the artery. So if you increase the pressure in the glomerulus, it forces what into the urine? Albumin. And we said it's albumin. That's the first what? Pathophysiological clinical manifestation of diabetic nephropathy. It is the first thing that tells us that patient has kidney disease. Albumin in or protein. You hear me the word? Albumin or protein in the urine. Uh, the causes of death in the type 1 diabetic, the number one cause of death in the type 1 diabetic is what? 
renal failure, right? It's renal failure. And the number one cause of death in the type 2 diabetic? Heart disease, right? Heart disease. All right. Discuss the changes in potassium. We said potassium levels are what? Are high and low. High and low, right? They're high and low. They can be high or low. And we said they're high. They can be high because of what? I don't have insulin. I also can have them high if I'm in which complication? Renal failure, of course. I'm not putting it out by the kidneys. I'm not putting it out by the kidneys. Remember, I'm not going to ask you, are they high or low? I'm going to ask you a lab. Which of the following would, might be anticipated? So we're looking for a high and a low potassium. All right. We know that they may be low because of what? Polyurea. 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 So that covers the, di the diabetes, the approximately 35 questions on diabetes. Questions? For diabetes, they would have hyperglucemia because there's no, they cannot pull it out of the blood itself? No, they have, remember both types of diabetes diabetics have high glucagon, elevated glucagon levels, because the cell is starving for sugar. That's why our glucagon is in increased in cell starvation. Yes, ma'am. No. Uh, who has it? Again, if I go over it, then you don't, then you don't know it. You have to have three of the five. Yeah, metabolic syndrome. Abdominal obesity greater than how many inches in the male? Forty. And thirty-five. Greater than forty in the male and thirty-five in the female. Okay. Number. Another one. Elevated blood sugar. An elevated blood sugar. And what was the definition of elevated blood sugar in metabolic syndrome? 100. 100. Yeah. That's normal. But that's a criteria. Okay. What's the third criteria? Blood pressure. Above? 100 and what? 30 systolically or above 85 diastolically. Triglycerides above 150 or higher and HDLs. Below 40 in men and below 50 in women. I have to have three of those. Does it make any difference which three? A minimum of three, I can have all five, okay? To have metabolic syndrome. So having metabolic syndrome, I have type two diabetes. 
Is that true? No. no. Having metabolic syndrome, I'm at risk for type 1 diabetes. No. 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 Having metabolic syndrome, risk for type 2 and heart disease. And heart disease, right? That, those are risks. They're not equal. But remember I said to you in class, we assume every diabetic has what? Every diabetic has heart disease. Some degree of heart disease. So that's metabolic syndrome. And yes, you have to know it. And I just thought of it. If you just heard what I said, you know it. Okay? I just made up the question in my head. So maybe now 36 questions. Any other question on diabetes? I, of course, I know who I am. I'm the, I feel pretty good. I know. I, 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 I don't know. I, don't. I could understand more of a confusion when you're in upper division when we're talking about medical and nursing interventions. But the pathway is logical. You know those Yes. Uh, does the polio pathway only act on the cells of the eyes? Yep. That's the only place we're going to see it right now. Are we talked about? Yeah. Cells of the eye. You do not need to know how fructose is formed, the enzymes that are involved. You just need to know that fructose is the sugar that's elevated in the retinal cells from high glucose. All right, so we would go on to GI, which accounts for uh, 25 questions, about, about 25 questions. And as I've been developing GI, I can tell you that most of those 25 questions will be on the second GI, and that's the hepatitis. And that's just a memorization. Those five hepatitis viruses. Now remember, how can I get hepatitis? I can have, uh-huh. Okay, remember, I can get hepatitis for other reasons than a virus. Alcohol, I can get hepatitis. Drugs, all right, I can get hepatitis. Infection, I can get hepatitis, all right. Hepatitis can be due to a number of reasons. It's not always viral, all right? It's not always viral. But we did look at the viruses, absolutely. Uh, you have to know the MOA, the mode of transmission. You have to know the mode of transmission of those viruses. That's just the memorization. That's just the memorization. How are they transmitted? And you know that, uh, again, one I cannot have by itself, right? Which one can I not have by itself? D. D. I cannot have D by itself, okay? Which one is there not a preventative vaccine for? C. C, C is not a preventative vaccine. 
We know we have a cure for it. Almost 100% cure, not quite 100 uh, for C, but we have no preventative vaccines for C. Is E included in that? Huh? Is E included in that? Is for a vaccine? E? E, we don't have a vaccine okay. for it as well. <laughs> if I have elevated if I have elevated levels of IgG in the blood related to a viral hepatitis, it tells me what? Either the patient has received an immunization for that virus, if one is available, or they had past exposure to the virus. Yes. And obviously we know if the immunization has worked, we got to look at the what? We got to look at the titers, right? We got to look at the titer. I don't know if I'll have a titer example on this test, but I, I might. I, I don't know. But I think you know titer, how to interpret them by now from the last test. Uh, ooh, ooh. What what tells me I have hepatitis? Well, the antibody, the immunoglobulin, IgM, can tell us. But I, you know, other than an IgM, what do we see? What would be a finding associated with hepatitis? Okay, I could go. I could have the stages. Of viral hepatitis. Hepatocyte function? Huh? So, like a decrease in the hepatocyte function? A decrease in what? Hepatocyte function. A decrease in hepatocyte function. Well, uh, that's, no, that's only if hepatitis leads to cirrhosis. Okay? And we know not all of them do. All right? What tells me, what do you think you're going to look at in the hospital that would, might indicate the patient has hepatitis? The what in the lab? The liver enzymes, right? The liver enzymes. You need to look at to indicate whether they might be having that might be having hepatitis. The liver enzymes. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And the degree of elevation is reflective on the degree of damage, right? The more the damage, the more the enzymes are going to be elevated. Remember, I could have one, two, or all three of those stages with hepatitis. Who's a healthy carrier? B? B? C? And D, right? They can be healthy carriers of hepatitis. Remember, in the first stage, and that's called what stage? Prodromal stage, right? The patient characteristically has what? Flu-like symptoms. What are flu-like symptoms? Nausea, vomiting, low-grade fever, diarrhea, 
This goes back to chapter 8. Do you know what someone can get into with diarrhea? Do you know what someone can get into with vomiting? Okay. I'm just asking you, do you know? All right, do you know? You have to be able to identify if I put them in one of those situations. For some of you, I may put them in diarrhea, if I do it at all. For others, I may make them vomit. All right, you need to know. Back to chapter 8 again. All right, but those, those, those occur in the prodromal phase. And we know the patient is in the enteric phase when what happens? When they become jaundice. Right? Uh, by what I just remember, probably there are six questions on hepatitis. Okay. Then cirrhosis. You know that I like I like it. I like cirrhosis. I think it's easy, of course, to understand. If I know the normal roles of the hepatocyte. Those modes are altered in cirrhosis. We already talked about in class what lab can be elevated in cirrhosis, what lab would be decreased in cirrhosis. And most of the effects of cirrhosis come related to what patho event? Well, alcohol can be a cause of cirrhosis. Well, acetaldehyde and hydrogen destroy the hepatocyte, no doubt about it. What causes the esophageal varices, the hemorrhoids, the splenomegalia, the ascites? Portal hypertension. Portal hypertension. Right? Venous blood is backing up. That's one of the causes. We know ascites. That ascites is not only related to portal hypertension, because ascites is what? What is ascites? Ooh, inform- I, I like that. Yes, inflammation. Inflammation? Uh, no. All right. Ascites is not inflammation. Ascites is what? It's edema. It's edema. Where? In the peritoneal cavity. We know ascites is related to high hydrostatic pressures from the portal hypertension. High hydrostatic pressures where? Venus. On the venous side. And we know ascites is also due to decreased colloid oncotic pressure. Low albumin. Low albumin. That's why all of you will probably be giving albumin to these patients if they have ascites. But it is the portal hypertension that causes a lot of the effects in, in cirrhosis. The hydrocyte dies. You're right, because we see the hydrogen. What does hydrogen cause? A fatty liver. It causes a fatty liver, right? And what are signs of a fatty liver? There are none, right? It's asymptomatic. We don't know we have a fatty liver. I can have a fatty liver for a number of reasons. All right, I don't have to have one at cirrhosis. Any questions on cirrhosis? 
Remember, anytime I use the word cirrhosis, I'm meaning it as that. Alright? If I want you to add, if I want you to address a certain aspect of the neck cirrhosis, I will say the patient has the neck cirrhosis. That's related to ethanol. But if I use the word cirrhosis, remember cirrhosis can be due to drugs, bacteria, hepatitis. All right, it could be, it could be due to anything. I mean, a lot of things. All right. So really, the only thing you have to know about Lennox cirrhosis is that it's due to alcohol, and hepatocytes are destroyed because of the acetaldehyde and hydrogen. But other than that, those couple of slides, uh, those things occur in any form of cirrhosis. Okay, they have hepatic encephalopathy. In fact, hepatic encephalopathy is due to what? High levels of ammonia, which is a byproduct of protein metabolism, right? And when we're talking about encephalopathy, we're talking about the what effects? The effects on the neurological system, right? The brain. Confusion, disorientation, coma, So we talked about labs that would be increased in cirrhosis and lab that would be decreased in cirrhosis. So any questions on cirrhosis? Then maybe half, I would say a little less than the, half the 25 will come from the first part of GI. And the first part of GI, we talked about GERD, so someone has, what, what is GERD? That's a weakening of the LES because of elevated, no, what has caused, if I'm not born with it, what has called the LES to weaken? Because of elevated, what kind of pressure? What kind of pressure? What kind of pressure? Abdominal pressure. Because of elevated abdominal pressure. Pregnancy, obesity, excessive stooping. Remember we talked about a stupor, someone who stoops a lot in their work could be a higher risk for GERD. All right? Okay. GERD is, that's, that's, the, that's a pathophysiological finding of weakened LES due to high abdominal pressure. And then I have a reflux of who into the esophagus? Acid. Acid. And that's going to lead to what first? Inflammation. It's going to lead to inflammation of that LES, of the lower esophagus. Inflammation. Then inflammation will lead to edema. Swelling of the esophagus, narrowing of the esophagus. But the hydrochloric acid leads to inflammation. No doubt about it. So these people have the reflux in what type of position? Laying, laying down. Lying down. And their symptoms are what? Metapagastric pain, right? Metapagastric pain that's sharp. Okay, it may radiate, it may spread. All right. They may have nausea, vomiting, 
If the esophagus becomes narrow, they may have what? This, this agent, right? Difficulty in swallowing. Their food gets caught, so to speak. Okay. Uh, definitely, you need to know the difference between duodenal and the gastric erosion versus an ulcer. And we said ulcers mean there's penetration of the muscle layer. Uh, you need to know that flow diagram that I gave you, how I could develop an ulcer related to stress. That flow diagram that talked about stress. Remember? Basically, stress would do what to the gastric mucosa? That would lead to ulceration. Not, yeah, decreased bicarb eventually, but vasoconstriction, right? Hypoperfusion of the gastric mucosa, no doubt about it. Because of the effects of food during stress, the catecholamines, the catecholamines, right? But the most common cause of ulcers and chronic gastritis. H. pylori, right? H. pylori. We know that aspirin can be a cause because aspirin blocks, blocks the production of what? Aspirin blocks the production of mucus and bicarb by who? By the physiological prostaglandins because aspirin blocks that enzyme. So aspirin could be a cause of ulcers. Stress can be a cause of ulcers. But the number one cause of ulcers is H. pylori. All right. And you need to be aware of the symptoms. Which, which ulcer uh, may food help relieve the metapagastric pain? Duodenal ulcers, right? Uh, what is zollinger elson syndrome? It's what kind of tumor? Huh? A gastronoma, right? It's a gastronoma. It occurs in what area of the stomach more commonly? What does the slide say? No. Huh? No. In the bottom. Pylorus. Pylorus. Remember, in the gastronoma, we have higher high levels of what hormone? Excellent. No. HCL. And I I already got that. Uh, I just gave you the question. HCL is not a hormone. No, it's, it's uh, HCL is an acid. Gastrin, right? Gastrin. Right? On that very last slide about gastric cancer, and again, I want to talk about every slide. It's there. 
but you should realize you should be able to identify that gastric cancer obviously is, is a cancer. Uh, um, uh, you see on the slide, just with all cancers, there's not there's not one early clinical manifestation, but a lot of these people who have gastric cancer suffer from what clinical manifestation? Indigestion, right? Indigestion. But indigestion does not equate to gastric cancer. Right? It's like fatigue. It does not mean I have cancer. But a lot of people do experience that. Okay. Ooh, ooh, maybe this is the one. Where does most gastric cancer occur? The pyloric Yeah, the pyloric yeah, This is one I was thinking about. True. It's a pyloric region. Yeah. That most gastric cancer occurs. Is Definitely know the difference between conjugated and unconjugated bilirubin. But again, if I ask that, that will only be one question. Okay, then we would move on to the last 15 questions or so on thyroid. I think you have a good feel for thyroid. Obviously, you know that the number one diagnostic test for thyroid problems is TSH, and that's the that's a level you have to be familiar with. All right, the TSH. Remember, thyroid hormone is produced over diurnal pattern. Our thyroid hormone levels increase in the in the early mornings, and most thyroid disease that we see is what form? It's primary. And the, the class, the most common form is primary hypo. Yes, primary hypo. Obviously, you need to know the role of the thyroid hormone. Okay, and we had a quiz on that addressed some of that. Remember that's on the metabolism. So you can figure out if my metabolism is high or if my metabolism is low, what I'm going to have, what I'm going to manifest as a patient in regard to the skin, the weight, etc. I said discuss the normal roles of PTH. Remember PTH is is it is, is produced by the thyroid gland, right? And it's when it's produced by the thyroid gland, does it have any role on metabolism? No. PTH and calcitonin affect calcium. Calcium. All right. So PTH pulls calcium out of the bone. So if I didn't say it, you're going to be asked it at least in six semester. If someone has a thyroidectomy and the surgeon takes out the parathyroid glands, calcium levels will fall, and they get into spasms, convulsions. Calcitonin is produced by the thyroid gland, right? And it tells 
it, it moves calcium into the bone or out of the body via the urine and stool. I want you to focus. I, I, I just want you to, because secondary problems are, are not as common by any, any, any say, as in, as in regard to primary. So I want you just to focus on the primary disorders of hyper and hypo. All right? And when I say that, just know the lab for hypo and hyper in regard to the primary thyroid disorders. I'm not going to ask you the secondary, because we just don't see it. But the signs and symptoms of both are the same. Either I have low T3, T4, or high T3, T4. Right. So primary hypo, remember everything is, is low because the T3, T4 levels are low as well. Remember in primary hypo, we went over that handout that they can develop anemia. All right? They can develop anemia for several reasons. Because we're going to talk about anemia in a couple weeks. They can develop anemia because they don't have what being produced. Excellent. The intrinsic factor, no. They don't have erythropoietin being produced. That's one. What else? And this comes back to another question. On, they don't have iron being absorbed or B12. Or B12. Mm -hmm. So they can develop anemia. And that can add to their fatigue, their lethargy. What's that heart rate in hypothyroidism? It's very slow, right? It's very low, right? And if, I, if my heart rate's low, what's going to be my blood pressure? If my heart rate is low, what will be my blood pressure will be low as well, right? No. If my heart rate is low, absolutely. Blood pressure will be low. But what is the blood pressure in hypothyroidism? It's usually high. It's high because of accumulation of what? Fat. Because of accumulation of fat. No doubt about it. If my heart rate is low, volume going out of the heart is going to be reduced. Volume governs pressure. All right? But to minimize your all of a sudden confusion, we will just say, we will just say, and again, guys, this is just the facts. We can have two patients who are hypothyroid. One has hypertension, the other one has hypo because of a low heart rate. But to minimize the confusion, we're just going to say high blood pressure, which is true, due to the accumulation of fat. Low, low pulse can decrease the blood pressure. Uh, any, any questions on the, the clinical manifestation? Remember, the most common form of primary, the most common form of primary, that, that I didn't even finish the question. Okay, the most common form of primary is hypo. What I was getting to is the most common form of primary hypothyroidism. Hashimoto's. And remember, Hashimoto's and Graves' disease, it's a problem with what? It's with the immune system, right? It's a problem with the immune system. Either it's autoimmune or I have stimulating antibodies. 
But remember, what could cause both? Hypo and hyperthyroidism. What could be a cause of both of them? Thyroid cancer. Inflammation, thyroiditis. Could be a cause of both of them. Remember, I have myxedema in both of them. But the, where it occurs differs, right? In hypo, it occurs where? In the face. Hypo? Uh-huh. In the face. And, uh-huh. in, the face. in the face. And it's just the accumulation of fluid in the tissue with, both with the, the mixedema. Uh, we have a patient who's been taking thyroid medicine to lose weight and they stop taking it. And you're asked to explain what the hazard is. What would be the hazard that you would say to the patient if, you've been, if you take thyroid hormone needlessly and then you stop taking it, what's the problem that you could experience? Atrophy. Atrophy. Atrophy of the thyroid gland and the development of what? Hyper. The development of hypothyroid. The development of Hashimoto's disease? No, no. no, it's just the development of hypothyroidism, right? Because the thyroid gland has atrophy. Right? So we've gone over that. I might ask you that as a teaching question. Uh, remember, you need to know, we've already talked about this in the classes, that the three criteria for grades, right? And those three criteria again are what? I have to have a and again, let's just review. A goiter is a enlarged thyroid. Normal. Can it be found normal during pregnancy? During growth and development, rapid periods of growth and development. All right. A goiter can be a manifestation of both. All right. But goiter is one criteria for grades. What's the other one? Exothalmus. And the exothalmus is due to what? The muscle being the, the extra ocular muscles, the EOMs, huh? What's the what's the problem? Because you're going to be assessing each other's EOMs next semester. What's the problem with the extra ocular muscles? They're increasing pressure. Do you what? Fluid. There's fluid in those muscles pushing the eyeball forward. Yes. Okay. Pushing the eyeball forward. So, and the third criteria for grades? The the myxedema, right? The myxedema. All right. Again, if you know the normal roles of T3, T4, you know what happens in both high-fold and hyperthyroidism. Okay. In regard to thyroid cancer, if I ask a question, I'm, I'm only going to ask the number one risk factor. No. I like that option. X-ray exposure, right? Ionizing radiation. Is the number one risk factor. 
All right. Questions? Yes, ma'am. Um, oh, excellent. No. Excellent. Thyroid storm and myxedema coma. Yes, you have to know. Thyroid storm, the clinical manifestations of hyperthyroidism will be exaggerated, right? Instead of having 110 heart rate, my heart rate's now 150, all right? Pressure goes up even more so, etc. BMR goes up. Their temperature may reach 104, 105. Thyroid storm could be related to manipulation of the thyroid gland, no doubt about it, during surgery. So we can see it post off. But I don't have to have manipulation of the thyroid gland to get into thyroid storm. What else could increase our thyroid hormone? Stress. Stress, no doubt about it. I take too much of my T3, T4. I take too much of my thyroid medicine. That could be as well. Infection can put me into thyroid storm. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. Okay? And as I told you, massaging the thyroid gland could do it. But most people who get into thyroid storm generally get into thyroid storm because they're either under intense stress or they've got an infection, which is a stressor. Myxedema coma, all right, just the opposite. Everything is hypoactive. Oh, yeah, this is where I was thinking I need to. Uh, in myxedema coma, my respirations are slow, right? Slow and shallow. And we can develop respiratory acidosis. I sure can get into metabolic acidosis, but that's not because, uh, not necessarily directly related to respiratory acidosis. But anyway, respiratory acidosis, yeah. Mm -hmm. But everything is hypo. Why could I get into myxedema coma and I'm a thyroid patient? I stopped. <coughs> Excuse me. I stopped taking the medication. I stopped taking the medication. Okay. Yes. Good. What else? <coughs> yes, ma'am. Would you have hyperthyroidism and then something happens and then you go into the stress? You, and that's what we talked about in sixth semester. The number one treatment for hyper, we can use drugs, but the number one treatment for hyper in someone that is not getting good effects of the drugs, we take out the thyroid. So now instead of being hyper, they're hypo, and we put them on thyroid medicine for the rest of their lives. So I can go from hyper to hypo, okay, because of removal of the thyroid gland. Yes, ma'am. No, thyroiditis is inflammation, all right? During the inflammation, yes, I can, it can be manifested by a goiter. And remember, I don't have to see it. I can feel, any time I feel an enlarged thyroid, that is a goiter, okay? But uh, I have a goiter with inflammation. I can have a goiter with inflammation. Now remember, since she brought it up, thyroiditis can cause hypo, Hyperthyroidism. Okay. But the thing about thyroiditis with hyper and hyperthyroidism, generally hyper and hypothyroidism is acute. We clear up the inflammation, 
and the thyroid symptoms go away. Today we don't separate them as juvenile or adult because we can see both in, in both. Historically we only we thought we only saw type one in children. All right. Now we see type two, as I said, because of lifestyle environment in children. More obesity. What's mostly in children? Type one at the time at the time of diagnosis is pretty much at, at Diagnosed, diagnosed during childhood, yes. All right, I had planned for an hour. It's been about an hour and 15 minutes. So, Again, I, I will have office hours tomorrow to come in and look at exams. That will be the last time. And any questions uh, from 7 to 12? Other than that, I will see you Wednesday.